Akron, Ohio man shot 60 times by police. We recognize American independence, and we find out just exactly what separation of church and state means. I'm your host, Zach, and this is Zach's Faction. I'm back, and not like Texas after beating a depleted Georgia in a meaningless bowl game after UGA was snubbed by the playoff committee in favor of a weak Notre Dame either. I'm actually back, and we've got another show for you. I missed the extra episode this past Friday due to some excessive work that we had to get done at my job. Lots of stuff going on, lots of cool things. I unfortunately will likely miss this Friday's episode as well for the same reason, but after that, I plan to be back with more episodes on Fridays and not just on Tuesdays. But what should you do if you don't see an episode available on a Friday? Well, you can always go to my website, zaxfactcheck.com, and triple check that you've listened to all the episodes I've released. If not, listen to those and get ready for a new episode to come out no later than the following Tuesday. Again, that's zaxfactcheck.com. There you will find all the info that you need to keep up to date with every episode You can also reach out to me there with new ideas, questions, comments, concerns. You know the drill. So, with all that said, let's get to today's episode of Zach's Fact Shack. So, over the weekend, which I hope you had a great 4th of July. As I'm recording this, I am actually prepping for my festivities with my family. We're going to be doing hot dogs, hamburgers, fireworks, you name it, just having fun, hanging out, loving our family, loving our country and the freedoms that we have here. I hope you had a good time. But over the weekend, they released some disturbing news, I would say. This was Akron Police released body cam footage of a shooting that took place in June. I believe it was June 27th that the shooting actually took place. They released this on uh, July 3rd. Now, the reason that this is such a big deal is it was a black man that was shot by predominantly white cops in Akron, Ohio. That's sure to get the mainstream media to cover it all over the place. Now, what most people don't realize is the background of it. I got a couple of different sources I'm going to pull from. I have a local uh, video from Akron, Ohio that actually covers a few things. And then I also have some information from CNN. Let's start with the CNN article on what actually happened. So from CNN, it says, a 25-year-old black man suffered at least 60 wounds when police officers fatally shot him last week following a high-speed chase during which the man fired a gun out of the driver's side window, authority said. Jalen Walker was unarmed at the time he was killed though a gun was recovered from his car after the shooting. Police released large portions of body camera videos from 13 officers who were at the scene, prompting more questions about Walker's death on June 27th. The shooting remains under investigation by the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigations. According to Milet, eight police officers fired their weapons following the vehicle pursuit and a short foot chase, believing Walker was turning towards them, reaching towards his waist, and moving into a firing position. While a medical examiner report found Walker suffered at least 60 wounds, the medical examiner is still working on to determine how many times he was shot 
and which wounds are entrance versus exit wounds. Milet said the BCI has yet to confirm the numbers of times Walker was shot. Milet also said it's still not known how many rounds police officers fired. So I'm going to play some footage from a local uh, TV station uh, for Akron that covered this story as it came out. And I want you to listen to what the the details that the reporter puts out. So let's, let's play that. City officials in Akron, Ohio, are releasing what they're calling extremely disturbing body camera video, showing the moment officers shot and killed 25-year-old Jalen Walker. The video you're about to watch is heartbreaking, and it's very tough to take in. Authorities say early Monday, officers try to pull Walker over for a traffic violation when they say a shot was fired out the car door. 21 shots fired, that vehicle just had a shot come out of its door. A chase then happened. Minutes later, police say Walker slowed down and ran away wearing a ski mask. So what we know here is that Jalen Walker was stopped by police or they attempted to stop him for a traffic violation of some kind. They don't appear anywhere that I have seen. It doesn't appear that they were a, that they have talked about exactly what it was. It was just a traffic stop of some sign, some type. I think maybe equipment violations, maybe like a light or something. Anyway, it was near 1230 a.m. that they stopped Jalen the first time. He apparently jets, runs with his car, and is chased down by many different uh, officers and their vehicles. And from there, he, they, they, they see on street cameras, and the officers stated at, at the same time corroborating it in the footage, that... There is a single shot fired out of the driver's side window towards the cops that are chasing him. You can see in the footage that there is indeed some sort of quick flash in the footage from the driver's side window, corroborating roughly at the same time that they're saying that there has there been a shot from the car. So it would it does seem like he did fire a weapon out the window. So cops are on edge. This man is armed. He has shot at them already. There's no telling what he'll do next. So then at a certain point, the car slows down and kind of veers off the road. It looks like he tries to get out of the driver's side car, but is T-boned, well, is glanced from the side by a Akron cop car coming towards him. He then begins to climb out the passenger side door. At this moment, all of the cops are surrounding the car. They're shouting with expletives, get your hands up, get your hands up, stop, stop moving, stop moving, get your hands up, things like that. Jalen then Jalen Walker then jumps out of the car with a ski mask. Now, th- this is a ski mask that you would wear uh, that, you know, you've seen them. They're just, you know, they're cloth. There's not much to them. Uh, almost like you would see for a fire retardant suit, but it's just, it's, you know, it's a ski mask, right? It's not uh, anything special. It's just all you can see is the eyes. You can't see anything else. Uh, it is a black ski mask, but that doesn't, we, we can't tell from the video what race, what nationality, what ethnicity, anything of who this person is um, that jumps out of the car and begins to run. Let's go to the next clip where and let's let, let's see what what happens next authorities say the officers tried to deploy tasers but missed walker continued running then they say he stopped and turned towards police so 
the very next thing that we hear is that Walker jumps out of his car and runs. We do not know if he's armed or unarmed. We know that he has fired shots at the cops already out the window. We do not know at this point if he's left the gun, has the gun, thrown the gun, anything. We don't know that. We just know that he's running from the passenger side door of his car and running away from the cops. The cops chase him, and they do attempt to fire tasers at him. Either the tasers did not hold or did not work, or they all out missed Walker. Does it's not very clear from the footage as to which of those is true. But what we know is that Walker did not stop running until after the tasers were fired. Then he turns towards the officers. Again, this is a presumed armed man who was already shot at officers at this point in the chase, right? The officers do not know whether he is armed or not, but he is turning towards them with his hands near his waist. What is he going to do? His hands are not in the air. They're not up, hands up, don't shoot. None of that's happening. His hands are beside him or near his waist as he turns towards the officers. The officers have to decide in a split second what they're going to do. And it seems that one officer determined before everybody else that this was the time to shoot. And so they did. Let me play the next clip for you. Who then opened fire. That was what happened next. Now, when you watch the footage, they, they, they cut there pretty pretty early, but if you watch the footage, the shots begin with one officer and multiple officers then also join in and fire. Walker falls to the ground and is still moving, rolling, moving around, and then stops moving. One of the officers, I do not know the rank, I don't know if he was in charge or not, but he is waving his arms in the air saying, cease fire, cease fire, cease fire. But you can't hear him through the explosions of the guns. You can just see him waving his arms, which is why it, when you watch, you'll, you see that the shots begin to taper down as more and more officers realize he's saying, stop shooting. Now, you could hear a ton of shots there a ton of shots I, I i don't i can't even try to shoot or to count how many shots were there I, I i just i can't contemplate that i can't figure that out for you but what we do know is that they're estimating around 95 rounds on the ground of the 13 officers camera uh, cameras that they released only eight of those officers actually discharged a weapon so we know that, it, let's say that there is 95 casings on the ground. That's about 12 shots, roughly, a little less than 12 shots per officer. That's a lot of shots for sure. But again, let's go back and look at what the officers knew at the time. This is a man who was fleeing police, therefore does not respect authority. This is a man who has already been shooting at the police. Again, 
doesn't respect authority at all. We do not know what he's going to do or what he's willing to do to get away. We don't know that at all. This man is running, presumed to be armed. There's no other way you can look at it. He's already shot at you. You have to presume he's armed. He turns towards you with his arms near his side, near his waist, where a weapon would be stored. And the officers fire. Is it possible that, that they were excessive? I think that you'll need the court to determine that, but it is possible. But I also know that this isn't murder because it's a heartless phrase in this case, but I do think it's accurate. The idea of play stupid games, win stupid prizes. This is one of those times where he gambled. He, he determined that his life was not worth preserving. Because he forfeited his right to live, he determined that the right to life that he had was, he determined to give that up the moment that he shot at the the cops. Now, some might argue that the moment he fled, he he lost that right. I, I don't know that fleeing necessarily causes that to be the case. But the moment that the officer is unable to determine whether you are going to harm him or her or another person, another innocent bystander, then when you're fleeing, then yes. Then yes, you, you have forfeited your rights at that moment. Now, again, if they're able to subdue you without lethal force, good, they, they should. But the moment that you fire your weapon at them, then later on you go running and then turn towards them, they have to assume you have a weapon. And therefore, it goes into me or you. It's going to be you. I'm not dying today. You are. And I'm going to open fire. That's what the cops had to decide. That's what they did decide. Let's, let's move, move forward because I, the, 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 the media is saying that he is unarmed he was an unarmed black man and that's just not true so listen to this authorities have said they don't know yet how many shots the officers fired based on the video i anticipate that number to be high a lot of rounds were fired officers tried to render aid but walker died at the scene a preliminary report from the medical examiner showed walker's body had more than 60 wounds it was absolutely excessive the law requires to use force that is reasonable you know we've heard numbers as high as 95 shells on the ground police say walker was unarmed when he was shot and say this handgun and loaded magazine were later found on the driver's seat of the vehicle now i i i want you to say that this this man was unarmed, but he had fired a weapon, and the weapon was later found. It wasn't like he had fired a BB gun or something or an airsoft gun or anything else. This was a genuine I saw I saw the picture of it. It's a it's a Glock 19 Gen 5. Loaded with a loaded magazine right there on the uh, the, the driver's seat. Again, the officers did not know he had put his gun in the driver's seat and fled without it. They had no way of knowing at all. None. This entire exchange from the, from the, the door, when he leaves the door of the car to when he is shot is less than 10 seconds. 
it's just not enough time for them to have said, hey, you know, let's go look at the car and see if there's a gun in there. They couldn't do that. They couldn't see that. They couldn't find out if that if he had left his weapon or if it was still on him. All they had to go on was the fact that he had already shot at them. He had presumably tried to kill them and had failed, which means if given the chance, he's going to do that again. So you have to assume, you have to assume that he is armed and is willing to kill you because he's already shown that he is. Again, this is not murder. Is it excessive? Possibly. But again, it, the seven or eight shots that would have, would have taken him down in the first place, possibly up to 15 shots that w- would have taken to bring him down, would have killed him anyway. Uh, I'm not saying that the officers should have put, emptied the, quote unquote, emptied the magazine into him. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that the riots that are sure to follow are inevitably going to say that the officers murdered this man. And it's just not true. It's not true. This man forfeited his right to life through his actions. Now, let's, let's finish the clip from this local news station. I want, I want, to, I want you to hear what they're saying. We want justice! Walker's family has called for peace as protesters take to the streets demanding accountability. This is also devastating to all of us in the family. Jalen was a very sweet young man. The eight officers who fired shots are on paid administrative leave pending the outcome of the investigation. None of the officers involved had any prior disciplinary complaints. The family attorney says police handcuffed Walker before trying to provide first aid. The NAACP is calling the shooting murder. Okay, so I want to I want to hit that last thing before we move on. They handcuffed him before providing medical aid. Yes, that's standard protocol because a handcuffed prisoner, it's much harder for them to try to kill you than a handcuffed prisoner. It doesn't matter if they're shot or not. You have to cuff them to secure them and make sure that they're not going to jump and tr- jump on you and try to choke you to death with their bare hands. So yes, he had been shot and was handcuffed. To me, this points to the fact that they were not intending for him to be dead. They didn't know if he was dead or not. They went simply followed the protocols of putting the handcuffs on. They called for the bus or the ambulance, whatever you want to call it. And they, they, they brought medical attention to him. But unfortunately, he had already died. Here's, here's the thing. You kind of knew he had already died. By the number of shots that were put into him, it's, it, 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 you, had a half, you would have to assume that he had died from his shots. But... I, I, I do not believe in this case that the officers are in the wrong. I think some might have shot excessively after the threat was neutralized, possibly. But the fact that he was shot in the first place is a no-starter. It's, 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 a, non, it's a non-starter. This is not where 
any injustice has been given, this man freely chose to forfeit his life. And that's where we are in our society right now, is that these, these incidents are going to become far more common because more and more people think themselves to be above the law and that they can do what they want, when they want, and how they want. And it's just not true. It's just not true. Now, I do want to move on to something a little more a little more exciting. Again, this weekend was July 4th, Independence Day. Uh, some might say Treason Day. Uh, if you're from England, I'm sure they thought that this, was, this is the most apt name, that it's Treason Day. Because let's face it, the Founding Fathers absolutely committed treason against Britain. That's, that's, that's what they did. So, I wanted to look back at some of the Founding Fathers and their documents. Unfortunately, there's, there was only a handful of things that I was able to scrounge up in the limited time I had for this episode. So this episode is probably going to be shorter than other episodes, but I really wanted to do this. With the overturning of Roe v. Wade, I have seen the accusation of the, the collapse of the separation of church and state, that somehow we are doing unconstitutional things because we are dismantling the wall of separation of church and, between church and state. And it, it's just not true. It's not the case in this, in this instance. The idea that the idea that the, the phrase the separation of church and state exists in any founding document is a long-held belief by many on the left. But it's simply not there. It doesn't ex- exist in the Constitution. It doesn't exist in the Declaration of Independence. In fact, the only place that it does exist is in a letter from J- Thomas Jefferson to the, the I believe, it's Danbury Baptists in Virginia. What had happened is that the, 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 these Baptists were very concerned because the official state religion, after the Constitution was enacted, by the way, the official state religion of Virginia was Anglican, or what we would know as Episcopalian. That's, this scared them. They were very concerned that there would be favoritism granted towards the, this church and not towards anyone else, thus causing possible injustices and tyranny against the Baptists, which were a minority at the time. They were very concerned that this was what was going to happen. So they wrote a letter to Thomas Jefferson, and he responds with with a letter that honestly tells them that there's absolutely a separation of church and state but not in the way that most people look at it now. So let's read Jefferson's letter to the Danbury Baptists 
uh, or, or segment of it. You can find this letter at the Library of Congress. This is what he wrote. Believing with you that religion is a matter which lies solely between man and his God, that he owes account to none other other for his... Let me start that again. That he owes account to none other for his faith or his worship. That the legitimate powers of government reach actions only and not opinions. I contemplate with sovereign reverence that act of the whole American people which declared that their legislature should make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, thus building a wall of separation between church and state. That is where the phrase comes from. Not from any founding documents, not from any legally binding documents for that matter, but from a letter written by Thomas Jefferson to the Danbury Baptist, who had written a letter to him congratulating him on his election, asking him to clarify what the First Amendment actually meant. They were very concerned that it was going to negate their existence. In fact, there's an article written by Bill Flax, uh, it's a contributor to the to Forbes. I, I want to read some excerpts out of this article because they, they really do explain a lot of this. Our nation was predicated on unalienable rights with governance through family, church, and community, each rightfully sovereign within its sphere. Human dignity, legal equality, and personal freedom reflect biblical values imparted on Western civilization, which retains these values, values in secular form while expunging their author from public discourse. Americans are frequently reminded of what the revisionists deem our greatest achievement, quote, separation of church and state. But separation of church and state is nowhere found in the Constitution or any other founding legislation. Our forefathers would never countenance the restrictions on religion exacted today. The phrase separation of church and state was initially coined by Baptists striving for religious toleration in Virginia, whose official state religion was then Anglican or Episcopalian. James Madison and Thomas Jefferson championed their cause. The preamble in Act Establishing Religious Freedom in Virginia, 1786, affirms that the author of our religion gave us our free will and that he chose not to propagate it by coercions. This legislation certainly did not diminish religious influence on government, for it also provided stiff penalties for conducting business on the Sabbath. Nor did the Constitution inhibit inhibit public displays of faith. The early republic welcomed public worship. Church services were held in the U.S. Capitol and Treasury Building every Sunday. The day after the First Amendment's passage, Congress proclaimed a national day of prayer and thanksgiving. The inaugural Congress was largely comprised by those who drafted the Constitution. Our forefathers never sought to evict the church from society. They recognized that the several states did not share uniform values. We lived and worshipped differently. The the framers were a diverse bunch with wildly divergent opinions on many issues, but eliminating the very foundations of America's heritage would have horrified them. On few issues was there more unanimity. 
where the French Revolution and its official policy of de-Christianization quickly devolved into bloodshed and oppression, here freedom flourished. Our independence was seen as the culmination of a march toward liberty, not a rejection of America's historical, cultural moorings. Our forebearers embraced tradition and left local autonomy largely intact. Schools, courts, and the public square were often overtly Christian and had been since their colonial beginnings. Few Americans would have tolerated a coercive central government infringing on their rights to post religious symbols on local schools, courts, or anywhere anywhere else. Americans built society from the ground up. Many had fled oppression. Few would have willingly been dispossessed by Washington of their very freedoms, which had just they had just secured from London. Here, men could and did rise as their efforts merited. Both the economy and church thrived. Alexis de Tocqueville, de Tocqueville observed that Americans intertwined individual liberty with vibrant faith. Quote, it is impossible to make them conceive the one without the other. Even non-Christian founders thought religion essential. The Northwest Ordinance of 1787 states, Religion, morality, and knowledge being necessary to good government and the happiness of mankind, schools and the means of education shall forever be encouraged. Americans understood freedom without morality quickly devolves into debauchery. George Washington believed, quote, Religion and morality are indispensable supports for, quote, It is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. The phrase separation of church and state was reintroduced by former Klansman Hugo Black, historically one of our most liberal Supreme Court judges. In the 1947 Everson v. Board of Education, Justice Black invoked Thomas Jefferson stating, the First Amendment has erected a wall of separation between church and state. That wall must be kept high and impregnable. Thomas Jefferson thought differently. The Danbury Baptist wrote to him congratulating his election and objecting to the First Amendment. They thought it implied government dispensed what was not governments to give. Jefferson agreed. His reply clearly applied separation of church and state to the establishment and not to the free exercise of religion. Jefferson later said the central government was interdicted from intermeddling with religious institutions. Such were state matters. Freedom of religion was partly moral, protecting our most cherished liberty, and partly pragmatic. Religious animosity tears society asunder, particularly when church is affixed to government. The First Amendment was an insightful compromise between church and state, federal and local authorities. The framers desired to avoid the controversies which engulfed Europe. As James Madison warned in Federalist No. 10, the latest causes of faction are thus sown in the nature of man, a zeal for different opinions concerning religion, concerning government, and many other points, ambitiously contending for preeminence and power divided mankind into parties, inflamed them with mutual animosity, and rendered them much more disposed to vex and oppress each other than to cooperate for their common good. Congress was not empowered to establish a church because the framers feared that concentrated power, whether favored whether favored religions, standing armies, 
banking monopolies, or an overreaching federal government invited tyranny. Church and state were distinct in that federal government, in that the federal government could not elevate one denomination over others, nor could government and its flawed inhabitants usurp divine authority by harnessing politics to the church. Faith is no civil contract, but a personal matter not to be profaned by politics. State-controlled churches frequently exploited this latent power for evil. The Spanish Inquisition did not originate in the Vatican, but in the Castilian court. It was not of the church, but the king. By Philip II, Spain had the makings of the first police state infused with the ill-gotten moral authority of a tyrannical clergy. Much of our Bill of Rights was meant to prevent dictatorships such as Cromwell's, which married church and state in such manner as to mar many of the freedoms our forefathers sought to enshrine. The framers witnessed the incessant wars of the mother continent and understood official churches and centralized power fomented abuses. Episcopalians in Virginia would live amicably next to Catholics in Maryland, Quakers in Pennsylvania, or Baptists in the middle. None saw cause for contention because there was no threat that others would gain dominion over them or any prospect that they might gain such dominion themselves. Rivalry was unnecessary because Congress shall not make laws, shall make no laws respecting an establishment of religion. Establishment has been redefined. Limitations on governments has been altered into restrictions on religious expression, which clearly violates the amendment's next clause, prohibiting the free exercise thereof, and third clause, abridging the freedom of speech. I thought this was a really good article, and it has a lot of good points that I that I want to that I want to go over briefly before I end. The biggest one is simply this. The free exercise of religion includes voting your beliefs. It includes stating your beliefs. But what it does not include is forcing another to obey your beliefs. But here's the deal. The reason I brought this this up it's because of the Dobbs case where Christians are being accused of trying to make a theocracy that, well, we don't believe in your God, so we, we, we shouldn't have to follow your rules and we should have abortion. But the reason that I push against abortion being legal, it's not for religious reasons, believe it or not. It's actually for purely logical reasons. And it's simply this. You have a right to your own body. You have a right to the autonomy of your body. But all bodily autonomy is limited. I do not have the right to inflict my bodily autonomy on someone else's body. This is why we have rape laws. This is why we have murder laws. This is why we have theft laws. You do not have the right to use your body autonomously without restriction. You certainly do not have the ability to harm another person with your body. 
And here's the thing. This is why I believe that abortion is wrong. Because you are harming another body. From the moment of conception, two halves of DNA form together and fuse into a single strand of unique DNA that has never existed before and will never exist again. This is a new person. It's a unique body that does not, has not existed and will not exist again. This is not your body. And I, I, I want to make sure you understand what I mean with the term abortion and why it should be illegal. Abortion is any procedure that would be considered a failure if the child survived. That is what we mean by abortion. So that does not mean treating an ectopic pregnancy. That does not mean treating a septic uterus. That does not mean saving the mother's life when having to choose between two lives it makes sense to save at least one if you cannot save both. But the procedures for those would not be considered a failure if the child survived. It is already known that in those cases, the child will not survive. The procedure is not causing them to not survive. The reality is that if you let natural courses proceed, the child would die regardless, or in the case of a miscarriage, has unfortunately already died. This is all we mean when we say abortion. Let me me repeat the definition. Any procedure which would be considered a failure should the child survive. That is what we mean by abortion. That is not religious morality. It is simply logical morality. But the thing is, every piece of legislation is someone's morality. Do you have any more rights than I to enforce morality on someone else? You might say, well, I don't have a religion. I'm atheist. Okay. You still have a morality. You still have a sense of right and wrong, and you prefer certain laws to be enacted because you prefer that that version of morality. So you are imposing your morality on me if I disagree. Someone's morality will be law. The question is whose? That's why we have representatives to hammer that out and to put to justly place morality laws of morality where they should be and here's the thing the idea that the supreme court justices voted their religious beliefs is a, is farcical simply because of this the five justices that struck down roe v wade all of them their religious beliefs would have outlawed abortion nationwide immediately, period, because it would have declared the life of a child to begin at conception. That would have been enforcing their religious beliefs. They didn't do that. They simply said that the federal government, rightly, 
that the federal government did not have the power to declare abortion to be a constitutional right because it's nowhere in the, in the Constitution. So the Tenth Amendment reserves it to the state and the people to decide what to do with it. You can place an amendment into the Constitution if you so choose to granting the uh, protecting the, the right to abortion. But it doesn't exist in the Constitution. Now it's time to debate with your neighbor and to convince them why you think abortion should be right. And I will equally debate with my neighbor and try to convince them why abortion should not be a right. The Constitution gave you more freedom, not less. The Supreme Court gave you more freedom, not less. And it's because of the religious moorings of the founders who wrote the document that gave you freedom, that protects the freedom you inherently have from your creator, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The founding fathers understood that you are given these rights by God, by your creator, not the government. The Constitution limits what the government can do, not what you can do. So, if you want to make change, get your government to change. Push, fight, strive for a better tomorrow. And I will do the same. All right, guys. So that's the end of today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed. I don't know if today was one of those episodes where you could really enjoy it, but I do hope you've learned something that you'll be able to take this and go, you know what? I, I want to think on that. I, I hope today caused you to think. That's what I really want. But that's the end of today's episode. So next time, probably going to be on Tuesday again, probably not going to be Friday, but you never know. You might get a Friday episode to sneak in there. But until next time, this is Zach's Fact Check, and I'm your host, Zach. We'll see you later.